Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Today, I am talking with Lawrence Lemer about Capote's Women. Lawrence is the New York Times bestselling author of Madness Under the Royal Palms and The Kennedy Women, among other books. He lives in Washington, D.C. and Palm Beach, Florida. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before we dive in, if you are always looking for your next thriller or whodunit, you should listen to Killer Content, a podcast hosted by Emily Webb. Here is some more information about it. I ended up getting uh, stuck in the back of a trailer in the trailer park with a guy with a gun one night when I got a little bit a little bit careless maybe, following somebody. And um, I knew I wasn't gonna get killed, but I, you know, it, was, it wasn't a pleasant night. If you're always looking for your next thriller, chiller, or whodunit, join me, Emily Webb, for killer content, Inside the Crime Writer's Mind where I'll be talking to crime-obsessed authors about how they create their characters, their stories, and their crime scenes. I've always wanted to set one of my thrillers on an island because the great thing about setting on an island is that it can be magical and beautiful, particularly during the day and when everything is fine, but at night and if there's a storm and you can't leave the island and no one else can get to you, because the ferries actually shut down. There's no escape. Killer Content is a Smartfella production made in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Welcome, Lawrence. How are you today? Just fine. Good. Well, I'm glad that you're here to talk about Capote's Women. I really, really enjoyed the book, and I can't wait to hear more about it. Why don't we start with you giving me a quick synopsis for those that won't have read it yet? Well, Truman Capote, the great American writer, wanted to write a book about these seven elegant, rich, beautiful women he called his swans. He'd, he'd written, he, he, In Cold Blood was, many people consider a masterpiece, but he felt this book that he was going to call Answered Prayers would be his masterpiece. And Answered Prayers came from a saying from St. Teresa of Avila that there's more unhappiness over answered prayers than unanswered prayers. And that was certainly true of the lives of these women, most of whom were not very happy. Yes, definitely this story proves money cannot buy happiness. Right. I loved actually knowing where that quote came from, so I was glad you included that in the book about answered prayers versus unanswered prayers. 
How did you decide to write this story? Like, where did you come across it that intrigued you enough that you thought, I think I need to tell these women's stories? Well, I have a friend, Susie Zarinsky, who, if you ever saw the movie Broadcast News, she was the main character in that. And she became the, the first woman president of CBS News. I thought, what a great subject for a biography. We, we talked about it. She wasn't sure if she was going to want it or not. And I wasn't going to do it unless she cooperated. So, wow. So I was sort of researching her life. And I read a book about William F. Paley, the, the founder of CBS News. And I was more interested in Babe Paley, his wife, than I was in her. And that led me to the lives of these other women, to Truman. And I thought, what a great book. He couldn't write it as fiction, but he thought it was a masterpiece. If I write it as nonfiction, it probably would be a good book. Do you think if he had been able to publish the story, it would have been a great masterpiece of the 20th century? Chapters he, he published were not very good. But if he had been able to do what he was trying to do, yeah, it would, it could have, been, it would have been a masterpiece. I was just kind of curious about that since the chapters that he published weren't very good. What made you think that it would have been a masterpiece? Well, no, only if he could have gotten back on track, but, but he didn't. He, he, he fell into this sort of gossipy stuff that was fairly worthless. <laughs> but if he'd written what he intended to write, that would be different. I guess that's true. I also was just so curious how these women didn't know that he was amassing all of these stories about them, because apparently he was telling everybody he was going to be writing this book and it was going to reveal the innards of what was happening with these rich, famous women. So how did they not know? No, they did know. They knew. They knew the title of it. But uh, they were flattered. And he was going to do what Marcel Proust wrote, Remembrance of Things Past, or Edith Wharton in some of her masterpieces. Uh, I mean, and why not? If, you're, if you were in that book, that would be okay. Maybe, maybe the, the, the society is, is, is trashed. But if it's, if it's great literature, wouldn't you want to be part of his immortality? So they knew he was writing a story, but they thought they were going to be portrayed in a much more positive light. Yeah, yeah. They thought they'd be, they, they, it'd be true literature. Versus the stories that they would not want known. Right. I was kind of curious. Well, what was your research like? What did you do to learn more about these women? I had a hard time because I wrote it during the pandemic. The New York Public Library was closed, which had the Capote Papers. The Library of Congress was closed. It had uh, Pamela Churchill. Pamela Harriman's papers. I had a hard time, but I wrote it. What was I to do? It's the pandemic. I couldn't go out and do anything. So I just sat there and worked like crazy. Did you use the internet? Did you read other books about them? Did you interview people? Like, what did it look like? Yeah. Yeah. I used the internet. I used past books. I, I did interviews with people. No, I did everything I could do. Well, that must have been very interesting. Was there a lot that you couldn't include in the book or did most of what you discover go into your story, into your book? I'm, I'm shameless. I put everything I know and find out that's the truth into my books. Authors always talk about their research kind of becomes endless. And so sometimes you're left with so much that you can't cram it all into the length of a regular book. Well, look, I, I, had, I was doing the reader's work on this one. I mean, I, I couldn't go on endlessly about each one of these women. I had to do it in a fairly short version that was still did them justice and did the story justice. How do you think he picked his swans? I know how he picked Babe Paley, and you walk through it with a few of the other women. But obviously, he almost seemed to just target people. Well, he, he did tar target people. Well, no, there were, how, how many women were there like this? I mean, these, these women had this incredible amount of money. They, they were beautiful, but they maintained their beauty. And, and Truman said that what they did was an, that, that it was an art. Their beauty was an art, the way they projected beauty onto the world. And he's right. I mean, you're 20, he said you're 20 years old. 
you can be beautiful when you're 40 and 50. And, and, and they paid a great price for this. And I mean, anorexia was the swan's disease. That, that, was, that was the endemic disease of them. Anything to stay young and look beautiful. Well, and you talk about Babe, where she would get up early and get her makeup on, and that, you know, they slept in separate bedrooms, and then she would present herself all ready to go versus just like what you'd normally be when you wake up in the morning. Right, exactly. And he sounds like a terrible person, Bill Paley. Oh, a miserable human being. I mean, truly miserable. No, but he's rich, so people, you know, put up with it. Right, and that has not changed. Right, exactly, if, you, if, you, if you've got the bucks. Yes, exactly. If you have the money, then people are going to put up with your behavior either way. Well, what surprised you the most when writing this book? I mean, you obviously, it was a subject that interested you. You headed into it. You did your research. Were there things that you came across that were unexpected to you? I guess basically how unhappy some of these people were, you know? They were unhappy. And you sort of think they had aspired to these lifestyles and that, that maybe it would go better for them. But yes, it seemed like most of them were very unhappy. Right. But I guess it makes sense. I wouldn't have wanted to live their lives either. No, and that's the other thing you learn is, uh, I've learned in half a century of writing, is don't be jealous of anybody. You, th you think cause they've got that big house or they've got the yacht or, the fan or, or what, whatever they have, they live in a better neighborhood. You think they're happier than you know. To me, I, mean, I live in Palm Beach in the winter, right? Because I, I like to observe these people. And, uh, but happiness is really, um, it's probably a middle-class phenomenon. The poor are too busy trying to make, a, to, to, to make enough living to eat. But the middle class, often people are happy. But the rich, the more I've seen of it, they're not. Right. Because either they're all trying to attain some kind of goal that's unattainable, or they're just after something that they're never going to find. No, I, knew, I know this one guy in Palm Beach. This is maybe 20 years ago. And we were playing tennis. And after playing tennis, we were sitting here talking. And he says, well, you think these people are rich, don't you? And I said, well, they're sure is a lot richer than I am. He says, what do you think rich is? I said, I don't know. What is rich? He says, it's $50 million. I said, what are you worth, $51 million? That's exactly what he's worth. So he's setting the goal based on what he's worth. Yeah, now he's a billionaire. And uh, he's if you saw him walking down Worth Avenue in Palm Beach, you'd take a dollar out of your pocket and give him to me. It looks like a bum. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's got to be difficult because you have all that money and the, all that money attracts all of these people. So then, you, you know, are people friends with you because they want to be friends with you? Or are they friends with you because all of your money and the glamour and the things you can buy for them or can't be an easy lifestyle? No, no. Beyond that, you wake up and you think, I I've got everything. Why am I not happier? And every meal, if every meal is perfection, it w certainly gets kind of boring. It's like you're eating at McDonald's every night. <laughs> yeah, I would not want to do that. But I do feel like, like when you, you know, I was reading about Babe and I was thinking, you wouldn't give me all the money in the world to live her life. You know, that just would not be fun. Right. And that is her on the cover, right? Yeah. And look, look carefully at that picture. Look how sad she really looks in that picture. How beautiful and how sad. Well, that's the thing. So I was looking at it and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Babe Paley on the cover. And you look at it quickly and it looks, you know, she looks beautiful and glamorous. But if you really look at it for more than a second, she looks so upset. Right, right. So did you want this photo on the cover? Like, how did the cover come about? No, I mean, they, they came with that photo. And I thought, when I saw it, I thought, wow. Somehow they found that. I'd never seen that photo before. And I thought, that's, that's the book. That's, that's, that's it. And it's such an incredibly beautiful image. And, and mind you, that's what these women, that was the, they're trying to do. If their life is an art form, 
It's that projection of that image. That's their creation. And so we look at these photos. That's that's what she is. That, that's, that's what she wants us to know of her. That's what she wants us to see. The other photos in the book are like that, too. These are stunningly beautiful women. And it doesn't happen just by chance. They work very hard to create that. Well, and I didn't know she'd been in that horrible wreck until I read your book. Because I've read about her before, and I've read Melanie Benjamin's book. And she may have mentioned the wreck then, but I read it a long time ago. But I didn't realize like that she didn't have her own teeth. I don't know. I guess I was so stunned by that. But imagine she gets that. Imagine what an illusion she has to create. She gets up every morning. She puts her teeth in. She's in. She sleeps in this other room. She puts her teeth in. She gets dressed. She puts her makeup on, and then only goes outside to see her husband. That that's the illusion all day long she has to create. And Truman said she tried to commit suicide twice. She probably did. I was wondering about that, and I was going to ask you because I know he was known for a lot of tall tales or exaggerating the truth. Do you think she really did? I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if Gloria Guinness committed suicide, too, when she died in Switzerland. Yeah, I don't know. It's just very sad. And it's, it's so wasted because you think they have all this money that they could be using for things that would be helpful to people. And instead, they're using it on themselves, and then they're super unhappy. Exactly. Well, you have written a lot of books. I was looking in the front, and I was so interested in a lot of them. So tell me, do you have one that stands out as your favorite? Of all my books? Yep. I guess whichever one I'm... Uh, um, my last book is always the one I'm so obsessed with, I guess. That's what authors frequently say, but every once in a while, someone will say an earlier book based on either something that was happening in their life or a story they just couldn't let go of or something like that. So I was curious, because you've spent some time with the Kennedys, it looks like. Yeah, I've written a trilogy on the Kennedys. My biggest bestseller ever was The Kennedy Women. That was a big, big hit. So that maybe that... And I, I also wrote a book, Ascent, about Willie Unseld, who was a mountain climber, climbed Everest, and I had a personal connection to that book. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Nepal, and he was the director. So maybe in some ways, that's my favorite book, too, I guess. Yes, that makes sense, because it sounds like you have a personal connection, and so it probably was more interesting or exciting or, I don't know, I guess, personal to write. Exactly. Well, are you working on anything at the present? No, I'm in my unhappy mode, <laughs> desperately trying to find something else to write, and I, I can't do it. It's like, why is everybody, everybody taking all these subjects? I mean... How can all these books come out every month when I can't find something to write? So I'm desperately trying to find something. I would think there would be something from this book. I mean, there are so many characters involved and so many issues that there would be something you could pull from this one to continue the story. Well, that's a good idea. I can, am I going to have to give you a commission? <laughs> no, you can just dedicate it to me. Okay, you got it. <laughs> well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked? Well, th this summer I read two novels. And I'm going to mispronounce your names. Nigerian writer. Siamanda Negozi Adichar. I read Americana and I read Half of a Yellow Sun. And she's the most brilliant writer. She's just amazing. And I I'm just felt privileged to read her, read her books. I've heard such good things about Americana, and I haven't read it yet, but people just rave about it. Yeah. And she's a daring writer. That's, that's the other thing. You have to be daring. You have to go where nobody's gone before. That's what Hemingway said. That's what Truman did at his best. That's what this, this Nigerian author does. I'm always so curious about people like Truman Capote who write two books and then don't write any more. I mean, obviously, he was working on Answered Prayers. But in the meantime, it's just curious that he didn't write anything else. And, and what he wrote were two very different stories. Because he was a multi-talented. If he wanted to write nonfiction, he could have been the best nonfiction writer of his generation. That's how good he was. He went, he went in the mid-50s, he went to, to Moscow with the... With, uh, a Porgy and Bess 
the first the first tour of of, of the Soviet Union ever, ever, and he wrote a brilliant story about that. He just was so talented. But celebrity is a curse. So it's, it's so hard to handle. You have to have enormous strength to be able to handle celebrity. I think that's right. And he had so many different focuses. I mean, obviously, he enjoyed the writing, but he also was obsessed with his swans and society and his role in society. And so maybe it's hard to kind of narrow down exactly what you're going to focus on when you have all that happening. And wherever he went, he, he was expected to entertain, even if he didn't feel like it. I knew Robert Frost didn't like him. And I had remembered reading that several places, but I'm not sure I had totally seen the story or how it unfolded until you wrote about it. Because I am a huge Robert Frost fan. I just love his poetry. I love listening to him read his poetry. And so I thought that was so curious that it was kind of a misunderstanding that maybe never got corrected. Exactly. Robert Frost was reading his poetry at this event, and Truman was in the audience, and he said he was from New Yorker. And people thought he was editor. He's like in his early 20s, 2020. He was 20 years old, and he's a New Yorker. He, he, was a, he was a copy boy. He didn't tell anybody he was a copy boy. So Frost is reading his poetry, and Truman starts to feel sick, and he gets up and walks out. And Robert Frost is so angry that he stops his reading, calls the editor of the New Yorker, and, and Truman is fired. I thought that's just one of those stories that it's a shame maybe it wasn't straightened out, but I can see that happening. I, I know Robert Frost definitely had an ego, even though he was a brilliant poet. Right. Well, those things don't necessarily, you can, you can have an enormous ego and be, that doesn't mean you're not talented. Absolutely. Oh, abs I mean, that's a lot of times why you have the enormous ego, I guess. Right, exactly. Like athletes sometimes. Right, right. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you today, Lawrence. Thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast to talk about Capote's Women. Okay, it was great being, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one -on -one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.